You're listening to Human Rights Talks, organized by the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Human Rights Studies. Hi, my name is Nadia Trudel, and this episode is part of the Canadian Task Force to Combat Online Anti-Semitism series. Today's guest is Ms. Jamie Kersner-Roberts, who is the Director of Policy at the Friends of Simon Weisenthal Center. Hi, thank you for being here. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Nadia. To start off, do you want to talk a little bit about your background and the work that you do? You know, I do all kinds of advocacy work in, you know, in the name of our mission to to combat anti-Semitism. What is anti-Semitism? What are some examples of anti-Semitism? <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's a good question. It's an important question. Look, anti-Semitism is a is a hatred for for Jews. You know, simply put, that's what that's what it is. In, in practice, we can see it expressed in a lot of different ways. We see it expressed in terms of, uh, often in terms of myths um, about Jews, Jews being all powerful, controlling banks, controlling media, um, uh, or myths about um, Jews having kind of sadistic or bloodthirsty uh, tendencies and you know and and one way or the, another what I think what connects different kinds of aspects of anti-semitism is the idea of conspiracy the idea that Jews around the world whether you know they don't know each other they're from different countries they maybe don't speak the same languages that they're that they're connected by some plan um, that they have to do evil upon the world and and we see that being the core um of the core of anti-Semitic expressions, no matter where they're coming from. And we see anti-Semitism coming on the far left. We see it coming on the far right. We see it coming from religious extremists. Um, And, you know, they call it the oldest hatred because, you know, anti-Semitism has been with us in our world for thousands of years. Um, And I think what is remarkable about it is um, really how similar um, the anti-Semitism is that we see now, even then the anti-Semitism as expressed thousands of years ago. We see the same, the exact same tropes um, and the exact same myths persisting. Um, so in a nutshell, that's anti-Semitism. That point you brought up at the end about how anti-Semitism hasn't changed that much is so interesting. I'm working on an op-ed right now about the rise and anti-Semitism and Holocaust denial recently. And it's it's crazy to read about the exact myths and issues that were going on in like the medieval period and how similar they are to today. Um, so my question for you, because at Megs our focus is on online hatred, is how does anti-Semitism translate to the digital space? Well, I think very, very unfortunately, anti-Semitism travels very well um, into the online space. I mean, it travels very easily and conveniently um, into the online realm. Um, you know, anti-Semitism has always been marked by uh, by the visual, right? So even going back thousands of years, even they they had symbols of Jew hatred. Um, they made posters about Jews with these deformed faces. I mean, there's always been this really visual element to, um, 
to this type of hatred, which has sort of traveled well into the online space. We see all kinds of um, memes, um, myths, false information, disinformation, very uh, often very visually centered um, around heinous pictures of Jews doing terrible things, you know, often photoshopped or, you know, misinformation about those who have been victimized by Jews. You know, it has really, you know, as our, as people, more and more people in the world are spending more and more of their time on the internet, we've, we've really seen it spread dramatically. Um, these kind of hate, hate information, hate memes, um, and, particularly during the pandemic when I, you know, I think it's fair to say that no, at no time before in history have people spent so much time online as over the last couple of years, you know, we are starting to see things ha online that we, that we have never seen or ever, ever thought possible, actually. I mean, the, um, you know, there is a whole new opportunity now for hate, people to spread their message and to recruit um, and it is easier to do that than ever ever before and we're seeing it um, become more sophisticated more professional and it's frightening it's it it's frightening you also brought up memes and I think that's been one aspect that has always existed, but has maybe been exacerbated by this move to the digital world of mixing anti-Semitism or any type of bigotry with humor to sort of disguise it and make it more subtle uh, or use defenses of like, it's free speech or it's just a joke, but these still obviously have very nefarious purposes. Just gonna say a lot of times hate content is masked you could say as a joke or is in a form of a joke that where the, the punchline of course is something horrific it, it's true but you know more and more we're seeing material that isn't even trying to pretend that it's joking and more and more people are feeling comfortable and emboldened just to straight straight up speak hatred and this this has been the part that's been mo most notable and shocking to us, um, that people will say something just absolutely heinous about the Jewish people and they'll get hundreds of thousands of likes on, tw on Twitter, for example. The United Nations recently passed a resolution condemning Holocaust denial and distortion, which is, of course, a form of anti-Semitism. So why exactly is Holocaust denial and distortion so dangerous? today after so much time has passed? Well, so again, at the core, I mean, that's a really good, good interesting question. I mean, at, at the core of anti-Semitism, again, is this idea of conspiracy, that Jews are, are working together to um, do something evil to the non-Jewish world. And I mean, you, you really could not come up with a bigger conspiracy theory, I think, than, than than that Jews made up the Holocaust. Um, just, you know, if you think about it, imagine how many, all what, all what would take for a tiny, tiny community by world standards to come together to make up something uh, so, so horrific. So, you know, just pointing to the one, the conspiracy element, 
Um, I think the other part of this that's um, very dangerous is, you know, more and more we are living in this kind of post-truth world where people can make claims and be convinced of things without actually seeing any evidence. And this is this is dangerous, not just for Jews, but for for everyone and in liberal societies in general. I mean, it it is really dangerous that they can take an incident in which we have, you know, overwhelming evidence um, and proof and and still be denying. And this is indicative of how far hatred goes. I mean, in many ways, I see hatred as a sickness that, and not to say that I feel feel bad for, for, for the per- people, person that has this, but just to say that it, that it actually, it actually changes your perception, can change your perception of the re- reality. And to me, to have your perception of reality so changed that you could be literally denying um, a genocide as large as the Holocaust was, despite the the blatant, uh, the obvious evidence that it, that exists everywhere, including sur- people that are living today that survived it, including the concentration camp mu- museums that you can now visit and you can see for yourself. For them to deny all of that, to me, this is indicative of how far their the disease of of hate has has taken over their logical faculties, and it's it's a sign that that they are very very far gone and 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 are are potentially a danger. And how have recent world events affected the issue of anti-Semitism? Last May, um, when uh, violence erupted between Israel and uh, the terrorist group Hamas, which is controls Gaza, in that few weeks period in, in May, I mean, we had more members of the Jewish community contacting us because they had been victimized uh, by a hate crime in that one month than we probably had seen in the entire three years before that. Um, Last May was a really terrifying time to be Jewish in Canada. We had groups of young, um, mostly men um, with flags, um, Palestinian flags going up onto the doorsteps of homes in the downtown Toronto area, homes with mezuzah. So mezuzahs are, are what Jewish people put on their door to mark that they're a Jewish home. So, th- so these were young m- groups of young men identifying homes as being Jewish and young men going up onto their porches and p- hanging eviction notices on the doors. So this was happening um, in many different areas throughout Toronto. We had many uh, reports of street harassment attacks, women saying they were being followed and harassed. Um, Even people who were not Jewish, who for whatever reason, members of a group or crowd that saw them and thought that they were Jewish and subjected them to an anti-Semitic onslaught of harassment or, or, or whatnot. And um, and I will say at that same month, you know, I've been at the center for quite an, for a number of years now. I mean, I got more complaints from students about a hateful incidents that happened to them on campus in that month than I'd had in the rest of my career in total. Um, so last May was really a watershed moment for our community. So remember, 
everything that happened in Israel, like it had nothing to do with our community here, really. I mean, other than that, that the conflict involves Jews and in the community here is Jewish and the community here is, is true, um, overwhelmingly does uh, support Israel. Um, but just to see the random attacks, including violence in just displays of hate, even at mainstream institutions, even at, at universities, um, you know, this was really a wake up call for the community. I mean, it was really shocking. We had never seen anything like it, at least not since, you know, maybe the pre-war period. Um, and, you know, we were all reeling. I mean, I think all the, the, the organizations, the human rights organizations in the community were, were really re reeling. And I think that what's come out of that moment um, first of all, is an understanding from our community that we really have to um, leverage our internal solidarity, that we really cannot let ourselves, like every community, we, you know, we have small disagreements, we have different sides on different issues, and, you know, but we all agree that, like, our safety and our right to live here as, live in, as normal citizens and not be attacked because we're Jewish, I mean, that we obviously we all agree on. And, you know, so we've really seen our community coming together um, on issues of, um, uh, of combating anti-Semitism and standing up for, for, for our rights in a way that we, um, you know, I don't know that we've seen before, at least not for in a long, long time in Canada. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, we're, we're working hard. Different organizations in the community have different areas of expertise. Um, and, and, you know, we're really tackling the issue. We're trying to tackle the issues in institutions. We're trying to tackle the issues, you know, culture. Um, and we are looking really hard at, um, at what we can do about the growth of hate on, on the internet, which we know is spurring on a lot of uh, these disturbing trends that we're seeing. In other like recent world events following that theme, the COVID pandemic has also part of this tradition of conspiracy, um, also specifically like medical conspiracies and big corporation conspiracies that involve the Jewish community. I've definitely been seeing that since 2020, unfortunately. Yeah, we've seen, uh, you know, there's lots of, again, conspiracy theories that Jews created the virus. They created the virus to punish the non-Jewish world, to wreak havoc on the non-Jewish world, or alternately to, in order to also create a vaccine and then profit off the vaccine. We've seen uh, theories of Jews created the virus in order to hurt Palestinians, in order to hurt Muslims. Um, we've seen all kinds of calls to spread the virus to Jews. Uh, we've, yeah, all kinds of, uh, you know, even, even from official Iranian government, we've seen accusations that, that, that Jews in Israel are behind this. Um, unfortunately, and these are sometimes people that have you know, hundreds of thousands of followers on social media. So, you know, it's definitely been interesting. In the social media context, are the companies doing enough to reduce and remove anti-Semitic content when 
they seem to profit off of the the attention that comes from that. I mean, the short answer to that is absolutely not. They are not doing enough. I mean, we, you know, the Center for Digital Hate, which is a, a think tank on, on online anti-Semitism in Washington, D.C., they did a study. They found that 80% of explicit hate content, anti-Semitic hate content, was not removed by, by the major platforms. They were looking at Twitter, Facebook, um, despite being reported. So 80%. So they're only taking down 20% of the anti-Semitic hate content. And this has been very much in line with my own experience, like, you know, of people reporting something very, very hateful. I mean, we're talking really, really awful. We're talking about, um, you know, we had a, I can't even start to tell you the kind of complaints that, that I've received of, of content that would have been produced by a Canadian, putting it on a social media platform, you know, glorifying or even, you know, supporting violence against Jews or against Jewish civilians and, um, and the platform saying, well, this does not violate our, our policies. So, you know, I'm just shocked over and over again by their disregard. And this idea that they have perpetuated for a long time, which is that they are capable of self-governing, it is absolutely clear that that is false. They are not capable of self-regulating. And that is for the exact reason that, that you brought up, which is that hate content is very profitable. People are interested in hateful things and people, it will get eyeballs. It really, it will. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I have lots of different accounts on social media, which I use to track and follow hate groups. And one thing that never ceases to surprise me is the way that the algorithms on these social media platforms work. So I have all these accounts that are not for me personally, they're for my, my work. And so their algorithm thinks I'm a hateful person because all I do is I look up things about hate groups, but their algorithms then point me to something even more hateful and more hateful. And I see with these different accounts that the way that the algorithms work, they're like, if, if, if that was true and I was someone that looked up white supremacy, I looked up a couple of things, three weeks later, they're going to be showing me the most hardcore hate content you could find. Like they are dragging you down into that hole and that's how, what they're, they're designed to do. Um, they cannot self-regulate. Um, and, you know, we have been looking to the federal government for some time for action, a response and action. In, here in Canada, it is illegal to promote hatred towards an, an identifiable group if it's in a published form. So if I wrote a book uh, promoting hatred about Jews, I, I could be arrested and charged criminally. Our argument is that, um, that these platforms are publishing hate material, no different than if I, it was written in a book. This is, they are publishers. They publish hit material. And as such, they should be subjected to the laws uh, in the criminal code that govern hate speech in published material. Um, and we would like to see them being held to, to that standard that every individual Canadian is held to when they publish their words in, in, in a book that they are, they're publishing hate and they need to be held, held accountable. And I think that once um, 
Once it was made clear that they are being held to that standard, I think we're going to see a lot of um, uh, a lot of the co hate content fade away. I mean, it's time that there's real consequences. You brought up a great point of it's very much a rabbit hole if someone can start off very mild in terms of their hate and they just get sucked into more extreme, more radical groups and ideologies. It's it's frightening. And I've actually even, you know, I've, I've done tests. I've created an account and I've typed in, did the Holocaust happen? Okay, so at that point, I'm just asking a question. I'm not even showing it by what I'm searching for that I'm even committed to a hate. I'm just asking a question. And of course, it's going to show me 10 different videos about no, no, it did not happen. Then I watch those and then I'll search for some keywords in there. And, I, and you can just see if you follow the trajectory as this passive person that's just passively watching and doesn't have any common sense to say this doesn't make any sense. You know, over time, it will be dragging you down and down and down into it. And it's going to be showing you harder core, harder core neo-Nazi materials. Um, it's not only neo-Nazi also. I mean, it's there's hate groups of all different kind varieties that have uh, come together on this idea that the Holocaust the very is intersected there. different extremist yeah. hateful groups. Yeah, sure. There's intersectionality in hate groups as well, unfortunately. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you again for joining me. This has been so great. Yeah. Yeah. For me too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nadia. Yeah.